All right, today I want to share a thought with you we're going to take from 2 Timothy chapter 2 in line with our theme for today, and that is living for the king. All right, living for the king. So this morning in our, um, some of our studies, we were dealing with Jesus as king. And many of the Psalms speak of him as king. And those are songs, not just Psalms, but they sing about the king. And so we've done some similar things here this morning. So 2 Timothy 2 is where we're going to be. If you'd like to turn there, um, the text will be on the wall today. If you don't have a Bible, as always, please let us know. We'd love to get you one that you can highlight, you can mark up. That would be for, uh, for your spiritual development, right? It wouldn't be any good for us to tell you to read your Bible and grow in God every week if you don't have one. So we'd love for you to, to have one. So please let us know if you don't uh, or if we can get one for someone that you love that may not have a Bible. That would be our privilege to do so. Uh, so let's talk about this here initially. The living for the king. We're going to get into the text in just a minute, but help me out here. Have you ever been around royalty? Has anybody ever been around a royal person, like king or queen, princess or prince? Not just like seeing them on TV, but you maybe in the same room or the same facility. Anybody? You're outside? Okay. Was the queen there? Oh, the flag was flying. So, hey, so you were close then. Yeah? So, I've never, as far as I know, I've never been close to royalty. King or queen, prince or princess. Right? And there's part of that that I'm okay with. Because it makes me a little nervous. Now, I get nervous around people. And it's funny how God leads your life to do certain things. But this is not my comfort zone, right? I'm a back row person. I'm a behind-the-scenes person. And that's where I feel comfortable. But God has different ways sometimes. But when I think about being in the presence of a queen or king, there's supposed to be etiquette that goes along with that. I don't know what to do. You guys know what to do? Like, if you were ever to come into their presence... Would you know how to greet them? Do you know the first thing that you're supposed to do? No, I, I wouldn't know either. And so that makes me nervous. So just in case we ever find ourselves in position to meet a king or queen, here's some things that we should do and don'ts. Here's the do's and don'ts, proper etiquette of meeting and greeting a, a queen or king. And this is leading us right into our, our message for today. So the first thing you do is you either curtsy or you bow. Right? Now, this isn't bow the knee, but it's just kind of bow the head as a, as a sign of respect for royalty or for the majesty. Right? So you'd have to figure that out if that's something that you'd like to do. You're supposed to use the right greeting. So when you come up to me or I come up to you, we might call each other by our first name. And you say, hey, Corey, how's your week been? Or I might say the same thing to you. You're not supposed to do that with the king or queen, prince or princess. What are you supposed to say? Your majesty. And if it's a queen, then you would follow that up with madame, right? Um, and so I'm just helping you out here, right? God may direct you. You may have a chance to share the gospel with the queen this week. And you'd be like, oh, man, God prepared me to, to at least greet her, all right? Your majesty. I don't know what to do after that, but at least I can say hello. Uh, they also said if, if you know that you're going to meet a king or queen or prince or princess, make sure you arrive early. Because it is disrespectful for them to have to wait on you or I. So you get there early, I get there early, then they show up and make their entrance, and then everybody's okay. We're supposed to follow their lead. 
So don't talk to them unless they talk to you first. Don't eat until they eat. Don't hold your hand out to shake their hand or give them a side hug or put your hand on their back. Don't touch them in any way, shape, or form unless they initiate it. Then you can shake their hand or in some cultures it's the, the kiss on either cheek uh, that may be uh, appropriate there. But, but you don't touch them, all right? Only shake their hands if offered. Uh, and you don't talk to them unless they talk to you first, right? But they say expect to be spoken to. So that means prepare for how you're going to respond. However, only small talk, okay? So don't ask any follow-up questions. If they say to you, how are you doing? You would just say, I'm doing pretty well today. You do not say, and how are you doing, all right? That's improper. That's disrespectful. So we failed this test a long time ago, right? I mean, there's lots of things that we do naturally and we would say are good that meeting these expectations of meeting someone who's royal would have, uh, we'd have a real struggle with. Uh, they said, don't, don't leave the event before the royal person does. So show up before them, stay as long as they do, let them leave, and then after they leave, you're free to go. So if we show up and we want to just pop in and pop out, that's supposedly disrespectful to uh, his or her majesty. I don't turn your back on the royal person. And instead of, they said instead of being in a single file line, you're supposed to kind of be in a circle around them, a semicircle, because they're more comfortable that way. I guess they can see eye to eye with every person. You guys didn't know there was so much to meeting a royal person, did you? You're probably like, this is ridiculous. Nobody deserves this kind of attention. Well, this is what they expect. Uh, don't take pictures. And that's hard in this day and age, isn't it? And used to, you'd have to take a camera with you or something. Now, you, if you've got your phone, everybody's got a camera. So you're just popping pictures all the time. That's just become a normal part for many of, uh, in our culture. So you don't take pictures. And don't ask personal questions. Okay? They'll share with us what they want us to know. Outside of that, it's none of our business. So they may ask us personal questions. We just can't ask anything in return. Or just to answer what they ask. Okay? Now you're like, I hope I never meet a royal person. Right? This is just way too much. Now, I don't think that they're going to um, dismiss us or excommunicate us or put us in prison if we get one of these wrong. These are just kind of some of the traditional expectations that are expected, obviously, whenever we're in the presence of somebody that is royal. So maybe sometime in your life this will come in handy. Maybe that's just stuff to totally discard after these previous three or four minutes. But it's our segue to our message today because the truth of the matter is we may not meet a prince or princess, king or queen on this earth, but every day we walk in the presence of royalty. Every day we walk in the presence of a king. And there are also expectations in living under the influence or living connected to that king. Okay? Now, his expectations aren't like these, but there are things that are just, not just good etiquette, but these are things that are required for those who live under the authority of King Jesus. And so we're going to talk about that today from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Here you've got Paul who is seasoned in his life not long before he's going to pass away. You've got young Timothy who's been growing up under his training and leading and teaching. And Paul's trying to remind him of some things. So you're going to face persecution, Timothy. Know that. Uh, what I've taught to you, what you've heard me say to a lot of people you take that same teaching and entrust it in other people who can do the same thing. And so he's giving him some advice about what he should do. 
He's also going to talk to him here about King Jesus. And so let's look at this, and we'll highlight a few things as we make our way through this morning. Uh, so here we go. Remember then Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Remember this Jesus. He's descended from David. This is my gospel, and for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. But if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. So keep reminding God's people of these things. And that's what we're doing here this morning, trying to remind God's people of these things. We've shared before, much of the ministry of the church is a ministry of remembrance or reminding. Scriptures are full of reminders. And right here, it's telling us specifically, make sure you remind God's people of these things. All right, so a few things we're going to highlight today as we make our way through living for the king. What is it? What's expected? What are some things that we need to understand about him as king? And then as such, how should we live as people who are under the authority of his kingdom or of his majesty? So a few things we'll note as we make our way through. Number one is this. As we live for Christ, initially we need to remember that he is the king of kings. So he's not a king. He's not the king. He is the king of all kings. Okay, lots of rulers, lots of kings have walked this planet, uh, but none like Christ. Many of them have left their marks on cultures. Right now you could probably think of some different kings or world rulers, and you think of some of the things that they did while they were ruling. Right, they've left their mark here, but none as much as Christ. And so Paul writes and says, listen, we need to remember that he is the king of kings. And here's how he says it. He says, remember that Jesus Christ... Remember that he's raised from the dead, that he has descended from David. So lots of kings and rulers have come and gone, right? There was one king who came, went, and then what? And then he came back. And no one else has done that. And so he has set the bar high, right? Resurrect yourself, die, and then come back to life, and then we'll talk. No one else has that kind of power or that kind of authority. So he has set himself apart. He has displayed himself as the Messiah. So in death, he dominated it by coming back to life, and he has displayed that he's Messiah. That's what that phrase, descended from David, is a reference to. King David was a king, and there was a promise made in his day that he wrote about which said that one of your offspring will sit on the throne for how long? forever. And this king, he's descended from David. He will sit on the throne of this king forever. This is what was pronounced to Mary. Remember when the angel came to Mary there in Luke chapter 1 and 2? It said, you will conceive a, a child. You'll give birth to him. And he will be this king. And his, his, his reign will last forever and ever. And he will be this, known as the son of David. He's a descendant of, of the line. And so in that phrase, he's saying, Jesus not only is he resurrected, raised from the dead, but he is the resurrected Messiah. So it's not a random resurrected person. This is the king of all kings that died and has come back to life. 
And we sang about it this morning, but it's right out of Revelations as well. Revelation talks about Jesus a few different times as the king of kings. Here's one of the end times wars. It says they're going to wage war against Jesus, the lamb. But he will triumph over them because he is what? He is Lord of lords and he is king of kings. Okay, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So what John was writing there was that Jesus is and eternally will be the Lord of all lords. He's the king of all kings. And it's important that we remember that today. So he's powerful. He's prominent. He's over all. And everyone either right now does know or everyone will know that he is the king above all kings. Do you believe that to be true? Everyone will know. Don't take my word for it. Therefore, we sing this today, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is what? That's above every name, okay? Why? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, all right? Everyone either now realizes or one day will bow to the king, king of all kings. Everyone either realizes and confesses now that he is Lord of lords, or when they come before him, they will say it then. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. That means there's no higher authority. Every king who's ever lived will bow. Every ruler who's ever lived will bow. Right? Everyone who's been a dictator, who said, I'm in charge of my life, I'm in charge of this community or country, will bow. Our current president will bow. Former presidents will bow, all right? You and I will come before him and we will bow. Some of us, we may bow humbly in respect and fear of him. Others may bow just in rebellion. And yet the Bible says we will confess, even if we do not believe that he is the Lord. He is the king above all kings. Now, I may never know royalty on this planet, and you may not either, but every tongue, every knee will bow and will confess. Now, one of the awesome things about this is what that verse back in 2 Timothy told us. It talked about Jesus being raised from the dead. The king came back to life. Why is that important to you and I? Right? It's not just that he's defeated death and gives us then the power to conquer death as well, all right? but he's going to resurrect us also. So the God, the spirit that brought him back from the dead is the same God's spirit that's going to bring those who believe back from the dead. He's going to give life to this mortal body. He's going to make you and I immortal. And so let's read this out of Romans. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if God's spirit's in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And so how should that, what should that do in us? What should that like compel us to do? In a, what kind of attitude should there be knowing that the worst thing that can happen on this planet can't really conquer us? What's the worst thing that can happen on this planet we would say? To die, right? To be killed. And we say that's terrible. Remember Jesus said, don't fear the one who can kill the body. That's not the person you fear. Fear the one who can destroy the body and soul in hell. Okay? 
So knowing that the one who they thought was going to be conquered has resurrected, his promise said, for those who believe in me who have the Spirit of God living in them, you too will be resurrected. So do your worst. Bring whatever you want to bring against me. You cannot conquer me. Not because I say so, but because Jesus resurrected. He said so. And so we always win. As we talked last week, we're always more than conquerors. We always overcome. And that is through Christ. So that should inspire us. That should inspire us to dream some big dreams. Right? What's a big dream we could dream as Christians? Big dream. In the context of our church and this facility, what might be a big dream? All right, so maybe we could have a big dream and say God's going to lead us to people who need him and they're going to be drawn to be saved. He's going to fill this building. Does that sound like a big dream? All right, how many of us in our mind are just kind of thinking, and that's an impossible dream. That'll never happen. All right? We're just a small church. God, that will never happen. What that means is we're already conquered. We don't believe in the resurrected Christ can do the same thing to other people. There's this current song out that says, the resurrecting king is resurrecting me. And if the resurrecting king is resurrecting me, he can resurrect anyone. Right? So when we think about his power unconquerable. He is the king of all kings, lord of all lords. That should inspire us to be bold in our faith. That should inspire us to wake up expectant every day, right? Expect certain things when you're in the presence of a king. Remember? Bow, don't greet, don't eat, don't talk. Well, here we're to expect some things under the king of kings. And part of that is understanding that his word's still going out. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. And he's drawing people still yet to himself. So, We shouldn't live with fear. We shouldn't live with hesitation. But we should be courageous. We should be inspiring people to be around. Not pessimistic. Not downers. Not talking about how bad the country is or the economy is or the divide here or the president is, whatever side you're on there, or how bad the world is. But people should be around us and go, wow, why are they so inspired? Why do they have so much hope? What are they looking forward to? Why do they believe things could get better and things could change? Because we believe in a king of all kings and a lord of all lords. And if he can defeat death, surely he can resurrect any heart or any community or any church or any country. So Jesus conquered, and the truth of that is we do as well. And so what did Paul say? He said, hey, keep reminding God's people of these things. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Listen, you turn on the news and watch it every day. You get a steady dose of how bad things are and how wrong everybody else is. Right? And how this side's right and this side's wrong. And how if we do this and make these laws, then it'll make everything better. And this side, no, we make these laws and make everything better. And we live short-sighted. We live low-level thinking. Rather than thinking about a king of all kings, we kind of excommunicate him and say, let's figure it out ourselves. And all that's ever led to is further and further problems, no solutions. So Paul writes and says, remind people. Remind them. 
that the one who died has been raised to dead, or raised from the dead, right? He is the descendant of David. In our context today, he's saying he is the king of all kings. All right. Secondly here this morning, as we live for Christ, uh, we want to understand that his word cannot be changed. All right. Remember, remember he's the king of all kings, not just a king. Okay. When they were watching Jesus die on the cross that day, they said, there goes his kingdom. It was going to be no more. They didn't understand. No, he's the king of all kings. But remember as well that his word cannot be chained. And for me, this is another wonderful thought. So as Paul is writing this letter, do you know where he's writing from? Just take a shot. Where is he? He's in prison, right? Many of his letters he wrote from prison. And lots of times when you were in prison, it wasn't just like freedom to walk around a cell. You were chained. Okay? And they said these chains would like rub your skin. And it was a place where infection could dwell. Or it was a place where that metal could almost get grafted to your skin because of the moisture from your skin. It kind of becomes a part of you. And you'd move around and it would just tear that away every time you'd do so. And so it was a terrible thing to be chained. Right? It's not three meals a day, TV, workout room, get job training, and get ready to go back out. Lots of good things going there as we re- rehabilitate people or try to. That's not what Paul was experiencing as he was sitting and writing in that prison. He said, I'm suffering as somebody that's a criminal. Now, what was Paul's crime? And we say, if you're willing to do the crime, then you need to be willing to do the time. Okay, what was his crime? What was worthy of him doing time? He's just preaching the gospel. All he's doing is saying, this is what's true. Not because I, Paul, say so, but this is what eyewitnesses have seen. This is what history will record. And he spoke truth, and they put him in jail. All right, they put him in prison. All right, he's teaching that there is a king and his name is Jesus. And so let's read it. For which I'm suffering. I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not what? But God's word is not chained. What's that mean? It means you can chain up the messenger, but the one thing you can never chain up is what? Is the message or the word of God. It's going to still be spoken. Though Paul had shackles on his wrists, he wrote a letter that 2,000 years later, close to, we're still talking about. And we're using it to build our faith. And we're using it to help other people know about the power of the Word of God. Right? So they put Paul in prison, but it couldn't stop the power or the message of the Word of God. Holy words long preserved, long ago for our walk today in this world. Right? We sing that here often. And so he's writing and saying God's word cannot be chained. God has a desire. And that's going to take, his will is going to continue to be pressed out. All that he accomplished, all that he desires to accomplish will be accomplished. And so that makes me think of last Sunday. Right? If you weren't here last Sunday, there were probably maybe about twice as many people as there are here today. And that's typical for us on a holiday. Uh, so we might think of those people like, man, they didn't hear a word. And what did we tell them last week? We said, we want you here. And we believe that 
we can partner with you. And that would be for your good and be for our good. And we don't want you here to put more money in an offering plate. We don't need your money. It's not about getting more cars in the parking lot. We're not worried about perception. It's not about filling a room so we can post to social media how many people we have at church today. It's not about bragging about what we've done in our power and our strength. We believe God's got a plan for your life, and that's to be connected to a local church. And if that's here, we want you to connect with us. Right? We said that to them. Did we mean that? Yeah. That's no ploy to try to backdoor somebody into some other kind of commitment. That's the bottom line truth. I believe everybody on the planet would be better off if they're connected to a local church. I don't care where you live. People say, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. They just don't know Jesus because Jesus died and gave his life for the church. And so if you love Jesus, I think you've got to be connected. I understand we're imperfect and we've done things that I'll never go back to church because of those people. Then go for Jesus. All right? We're all just as flawed as the next person. He's the one who's trying to rework and make us better. But as I think about the Word of God not being chained in that context last Sunday, you know, sometimes we resolve, I resolve, that things are never going to change. You ever do that? You're talking to somebody, family member or friend, and you've invited them to church, and they come time after time after time, but it seems like it never takes root. It doesn't bear any fruit whatsoever that you or I can see. It kind of becomes like, man, what's the point? Why are you even coming? Right? If we're not careful, we'll sink into that attitude as though the Word of God is chained and it's not at work. Sometimes we just go ahead and resolve on somebody else's behalf that that person will never devote their life to Christ. They'll never come back to church. Okay? What Paul's writing from prison, man, let that encourage your heart today. You and I have no idea how God took the word that was spoke last week, his word, and is currently working in your family member. You have no idea. I have no idea. Right? But that's part of our story. Somebody shared something with us, and it worked in our mind for a while. Nobody knew about it. And we may have repented privately. It may have been days, weeks, months, years before we really even told anybody that we have given our life to Christ. So what I'm trying to say is don't lose heart as you keep thinking about your family members and friends that aren't here today. It doesn't mean that they won't ever be. Because God's Word is not chained. It goes out. And it settles in. And He has a way of working. And He has a way of drawing people to Himself. Yes, we want to see fruit from that. But ultimately, that's in God's hands. Right? What Paul say? We plant, we water, but it's God. He's the one who's got to give the increase. And that's what we're after. We don't want to manipulate people to be here to have some kind of false thing going on. We want the real deal. Right? Spirit of God working through the Word of God to change a person to come to know God. Have faith in Him to devote their life to Him. So sometimes we resolve that God's word is chained, that it's bound. What Paul wrote here to say to us today is, no, it's not. Right? It always works. It never goes out empty or void. And so Isaiah said it this way. Remember this verse? He says, it's God who sends from heaven the water and the snow, the rain and the snow rather, to water the ground, to raise up fruit and crops that flourish and feed people. Okay, rain's not without purpose. Anybody tired of the rain this spring? Have you had enough already? 
Okay? It's not without purpose. You say, I don't understand how flooded ground can have purpose. I don't understand all those things either. What God promised is that he'd never flood the earth again to destroy it. And so his word says, I'm sending it because it's good for the earth. Then he relates that to his word. In the same way, my word that goes out from my mouth, it won't return to me empty. When my word goes out, it's accomplishing something. It will accomplish what? What I or what he, what God desires and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. All right? So the word goes out and it's settling in minds and in ears and it's beginning to work and challenge and convict and change. And for many that's a process of time. But it never goes out and returns empty. It always goes out, what's he say? It accomplishes what I desire. It achieves the purpose for which I sent it. And so his word is not chained. So as you remember your king, remember that. Remember that God's word is still going to be drawing people and be bold and be confident in your witness. Right? We've all got people in our life that we're thinking like, they'll never, they'll never repent. I mean, that's just, they've told me that. Well, they're still breathing and God's word doesn't go out void, so there's still hope. Right? Now, he's not going to make them believe in him. He might allow some things to happen in their life where they have to begin to question or wonder or turn looking for a source of help. But it doesn't return void. It's not chained. So share it. Say, man, I don't know everything about it. He didn't ask you if you knew everything. He just says to share it. Share what you do know. Get to know him better. and Share more. People shut you down, pray for him. And you have opportunity, live out the word. So they can see it displayed. All sorts of ways that we can live knowing that the word of God is not changed. So be bold. Right? So we said he's the king of all kings. Be inspired. He's this king whose word is not chained. We need to expect that. Oh, it's never going to happen. Does that sound like expectant? It doesn't sound expectant, right? Expectant says it's, it's going to happen. So his word is going to challenge and change lives. So be bold. Be inspired. And then third and last here, as we live for Christ, Paul says, what's expected of me as a subject under his majesty, Jesus the King, is that I endure everything. I endure everything, but there's a purpose for enduring. It's not just to brag and say, look how tough and macho and manly I am. I can take your worst. We endure everything just as Christ did. For the salvation of other people. So Paul's writing to Timothy and he's being oppressed and persecuted. And he's writing to Timothy saying, Timothy, you're going to be oppressed and you're going to face persecution. You're going to suffer for the cause of Christ. That's in the first seven verses of 2 Timothy chapter 2. The ones that we didn't read prior to the text where we started today. But what Paul said is this. I will not allow my situation to detract me from the great opportunity that awaits me, the great potential that is before me. And I love that, right? I mean, it's easy to sit in prison, I would think, and think, man, I have no influence. I'm just done. It's easy to throw our hands up and quit when it gets hard, right? When we can't see a way out or we don't see any change, sometimes we just want to throw in the talents. I, you know, we gave it our best effort. Let somebody else try it. 
And Paul says, no, no, no. We endure. We endure for the benefit and for the opportunity and for the great potential that awaits us. I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. See, in the forefront of Paul's mind as he's sitting in prison is that prison guard who's sitting right there beside him. And maybe he's not talking to the people in Ephesus. Maybe he's not visiting physically the churches in Galatia or in Philippi or in Corinth. His mission field has just shifted a little bit. Remember, the Word of God has not changed, and so now he's going to talk to the prison guard. Maybe he's talking to the prisoners. Those are stories that we don't have. We know that he's writing, and the Word of God continues to go out. All right? It's not bound or it's not chained. So everything that he faced, he endured it with the hope of and the potential of and the opportunity of seeing others come to Christ. And so he's got Christ in the forefront of his mind. See, just as Jesus died on that cross to pay the price for all sin, knowing that not all people would come to him, Paul says, I'll face whatever comes to me and I'll endure that knowing that some people are going to reject. However, some people are going to receive. And from him, he would say to me, that's worth it. I'll endure anything. Put me in prison. Remember his list of things there to the Corinthians where he was beaten, he was left naked, he was starved, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, left for dead, right? And yet he continued to go from city to city to city, knowing that every city he went to, he would face hardship because to him, it was worth it to endure. Right? The one who he, who's, who, the one who's, Kingdom, he is living under that authority. Jesus died on a cross saying it's worth it to endure this even though many will reject because there will be those who receive or who believe. So did Paul know the cost of following? Absolutely. Paul knew the cost of following Christ, but he would also know the joy of sharing Christ as he witnessed one person believing and that one person becoming a family and that family reaching to their neighbor and that neighbor becoming a community and a church being established in a city after city after city after city. And listen, that's the story of how we're here today. Right? There were people in this city who were traveling to St. Louis, Missouri for church. And they said, you know what? We believe God wants to have some influence in Granite City. And so let's take those who are here and let's pray and ask God to plant and bless a church. What year was that? Is that 1960? 1959 is when I think that was coming together. And 1960 is when it was uh, formally formed. And from this, God has been sending people to many different areas. There have been people who've gone from here to serve in missions. There have been people who've gone from here to help plant churches locally in other areas. There are people who've gone from here who went to their neighbors and whose neighbors have come to Christ through the ministry of those, this church. Uh, just lots of things that have happened simply because people thought it was worthwhile to endure for the sake of others. Right? And so we need to have that same spirit of endurance that Paul was telling Timothy to have, this young man in his ministry, because you're going to face opposition as well. And so I just want to remind you that it's worth it. So be inspired 
because your king lives and he's the king of all kings. Be bold because the word of God cannot be chained. Right? As it goes out, it's going to work what it's intended to work and it's going to come back and God's going to get the glory from that and we're just going to keep doing the work that he's asked us to do and endure because our king endured for us. He endured that we might have the hope and peace and life and joy that we have today and he endured so that other people that he's connected us with would have the same opportunity and access to the same hope, joy, life, and peace. So if there are some expectations to being around royalty, these are a few of them here today. All right, so think through these just for a minute. If he's the king of all kings, am I living as though he is the king of all kings? When other people listen to me talk, and they observe my life, whether they believe in my king or not is not the point. The point is, do they, can they see in me that I live as though he is my king and that he's the authority over everything. We should expect to be inspired by the one who's the king of all kings. Are we expecting for God to take his word and just to continue to cause that to flourish in hearts and minds? Or, or have we already resolved that it's not going to happen? Those people that were here, they're not going to go to church anywhere else. Those people in my life that have never come here, said they'll never go anywhere. It's just how it's going to be for them. Or have we understood that the Word of God cannot be chained and that He can continue to penetrate and help other people to know Him? And if it's expected that our King, if it's, if it's known that our King endured, it's expected that we endure as those who live in his kingdom as well. So I just wonder today, are you enduring? Are you bold? Are you inspired? Am I bold? Am I inspired? Are we enduring? Are, are we living in some way that kind of doesn't meet the expectations? Right? It's kind of like trying to high-five the queen. No, that's not the expectation. There's certain expectations when we come around royalty. And so if these are some ways that it looks like to live for the king, what I simply wonder is, are we? That all starts with Jesus as my king. Right? Have you acknowledged that Jesus is a savior, the savior? And have you received him as your only hope of being forgiven of sin? having access to God the Father here, now, and eternally? Are you living with him as your king? Every knee will bow. Some will bow by themselves, their own volition or will. Others will be bowed. Is he your king? Is he my king? 